You're listening to State of Water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Clavel. We want to thank you for joining us again on this Sunday afternoon. Uh, if you've been listening throughout this entire Black History Month, you'll know that we've been discussing the Black Church with our partnership with PBS and WHR Owen in conjunction with the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. It was a tremendous success. You can go back on the website of PBS and you can view that series by the historian Henry Louis Gates Jr. Today, we want to take a look at not just, uh, we're going to combine a couple of things here. We're going to take a look at how Black preachers and African-American rhetoric adds to the message and how we get information out to the community. Now, keep in mind, with the Black church, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about social justice. We talked about economics. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, even just building ourselves up through education. But we're going to take a look at it from a different aspect, especially with us dealing with a health care crisis. And joining us today, we have a very good friend of mine. Um, he's no stranger to Hampton Roads. His name is Dr. Will Levise. Dr. Levise, thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Claville, always a pleasure, my friend. Always a pleasure to be with you. Now, again, uh, the like I said, you're no stranger to Hampton Roads. Uh, you and I, we actually... Uh, our, we have a project together that we're doing called La Visa and Claville. You can Absolutely. find it. Yeah, you can find it. It's, 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 a, it's a podcast. It's a radio show. And we do a lot of interesting things together on that particular piece. We'll talk about it more uh, at the end of the show where people can follow us. And I want you to talk a little bit more about that project. But tell, tell us what is a little bit about yourself and your time here in Hampton Roads. Been a minute, you know. I initially came to Hampton Roads as a columnist for the Hampton Roads Daily Press. You know, I was the first Black Metro columnist. This was back in what the early two thousands. Oh wow! And then um, I was recruited to go back to Chicago to Ebony Magazine, and then I was recruited to come back to the Virginian Pilot uh, to lead um, Mix Magazine, which was a, a venture startup, the first multicultural publication. Um, in Virginia. And around that time, I also, you know, began my radio show. Actually, they were talking to me at Hampton, um, at your, one of your sister stations or friendly stations across the water, WHOV. They had been talking to me about doing a uh, radio show when I was a columnist initially. But when I came back, you know, we regrouped that idea. And that's actually when you and I connected. And so, you know, we Absolutely. missed that vibe that we had on the radio and communicating with each other and chopping it up. So, so yeah, Hampton Roads is definitely a, a second home originally a New Yorker, but Hampton Roads is definitely a second home. And, you know, my time as a columnist there and as a writer was, a, has been rich and, and fulfilling. So definitely. Absolutely. And, you know, we've talked about on, on our project, our podcast about HBCUs and the reason why we love HBCUs and Absolutely. your product of Lincoln university. Absolutely. And the Lincoln University <laughs> of, of Pennsylvania, the great state of Pennsylvania, the Lincoln, the first HBCU. <laughs> you know, and, and again, don't mistake it with Lincoln University of Missouri, right? But right, which I have love for. We love <laughs> we love them as well, but they're they're not the Lincoln University of Pennsylvania. Well, look, we're so glad to have you join us here at Norfolk State University, WNSB. Yeah. Uh stay of the water, you know, where we deal with issues and we bring uh, community leaders, policymakers, movers and shakers to the community to talk about very important issues that's important to them from 
an African-American perspective. And today, you know, I, I want to talk about this, the, this concept that you've actually created yes. uh, in part, you know, with, with your academic work calling uh, adding soul to the message. Tell us where that idea came from. Well, yes, well, it's part of my dissertation. I'm a proud now ODU monarch. You know, I earned my uh, doctorate at ODU focusing on technology and media studies in the uh, English department. And my dissertation was very much about my passion for the Black community and health, particularly as a reporter and then as a columnist over the course of my years, I became more and more interested in health. And so also being a believer, being a, you know, a man of faith, I was actually an ordained deacon back in the 90s. I know very much about how critical the Black church has been to the development of Black culture, period. And so the Black church is at the root, you know, from the spirituals to the Black folk church tradition to move to all of the development, all the various denominations. That's at the root of our culture as Afro-Americans. You know, I say Absolutely. Afro because we are the people of Africa, like our cousins throughout the hemisphere whose ancestors made it through that middle passage. So in my dissertation, I wanted to look at, you know, if you're going to deliver a message that's going to be effective to a particular people, one of the things you can look at is their own literary traditions and adopt those and use that as a way of forming the message. And so I looked at the uh, African-American Jeremiah uh, literary form, which is a unique form of the American Jeremiah literary form and how that could be applied to health messaging. And that Jeremiah form, we as people who have been in the church, we're very familiar with hearing it. We've heard it in various different forms. We hear it in church, but it's also been used and played out in other arenas. So if you've heard Dr. Martin Luther King's speech, I have a dream speech, or any of his speeches, quite frankly, he used that that form. Now, it, now, yeah. now, 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 Will, before we go any further, I want people to understand that we're talking about, when you talk about the Jeremiah style of preaching and right. messaging, we're not talking about Jeremiah Wright in right. Chicago, the former pastor, uh, former President Obama and Michelle Obama, but we're talking well, about the prophet Jeremiah. Right. 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 Okay. Well, yeah, yes. Yes. And no, because you're correct that where it comes from, it comes from the prophet Jeremiah, who you see in the in the Hebrew uh, text was uh, lamenting of the people for their turning away from God. Right. And so it is that tr it, that's exactly what it is, is that it's this lament of, of woe, of, of, of letting the people know of the risk of turning away from God and, and, and not repenting. And so the American form offers that same kind of woe, but it has at, at its root this hope that eventually people will turn around and repent. And so when you talk about the prophet, you know, you talk about the prophet Jeremiah, and then you talk about Jeremiah Wright. Well, Jeremiah Wright <laughs> preached in that tradition yes. of the African-American form where you hear him lamenting and talking about the grievances that America has done, the wrongs that America has done. But in the end, he always came with that sense of hope That's right. in the African-American tradition and our patriotism and our still our promise, our belief that the country will still do right by us. And so when, yeah, he's absolutely one of the last to, to preach in that African-American tradition, Jeremy had uh, formed. Absolutely. Now, we're talking about adding soul to the message, and, and I want to uh, connect that to healthcare. 
Now, we know that you and your brother, uh, Dr. Uh, Thomas Lavise, who's also the dean of public health, the School of Public Health at Tulane University in New Orleans, yes. uh, Louisiana, my home state, um, you know, there's a project you guys are working on as it relates to the skin you're in, as communicating uh, issues to the Black community so that they can understand it about their health. You know, and, you know, we're dealing with COVID-19, right? And the messages have been out there that the African-American community have not been tar targeted properly. They're not getting the information that they should. And a lot of times we see people that are talking to African-Americans are really talking at African-Americans, right? Exactly. You know, exactly. And as opposed to meeting, meeting the citizens or the patients right where they are. So how can... You know, this concept that you have is very interesting. How can the Jeremiah type of preaching or messaging help get the message of healthcare and that message of, 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 of healthcare, vaccines, how to take care of yourself to the African-American community more effectively? Glad you asked that. <laughs> because that's exactly what my dissertation did. I appreciate you mentioning the project, tsyi.org or the skin you're in. The website was designed and constructed in that format, in the Jeremiah format with the movements. Because again, the, the concept being, if people of this particular group, in this case, African-Americans, see the, literate, the messaging coming to them in a form that instinctively is familiar to them, then they will be more receptive and actually engage in behavior change. And so you're right, a lot of times when it comes to messaging to our community, the oftentimes the people constructed the messages are not black or do not understand the community. Uh -huh. So they'll do some logical things like say, well, let's go to the church or let's go to the barbershop. But the messaging is still oftentimes, like you said, it's still <laughs> not endemic to that culture. So you're talking at the people. And so what we looked at is to say, you construct the message in a way that is familiar to these people. So it deals with the issues that we're most concerned about. So the so the four movements in it is you you give an affirmation of the promise, right? The movements right. in the Jeremiah is that, you know, God promised his people certain things. So you give an affirmation of the promise. You recognize that, you know, people have not turned, have turned away from the promise. And then you say, well, if you, you know, you need to repent, you need to repent or else we will be doomed. Well, the American Jeremiah adds, you need to repent, but, and then we will repent because we, God has intended us to be a greater people. What the African-American piece does is it acknowledges racism. It says, white America, you will never, and we will never become a great country unless you do right by us. So when you message to African-Americans around health, you have to think of those same movements, the sense of community, the sense of this outside forces that's creating this health crisis, the yeah. racism that has been that has been totally exposed through COVID, that yeah. we get a systemic racism that is still in play, that is plaguing our community. And that is what is the reasons why these disparities and these health conditions exist. But so we're, we're, what we can do to turn it around and to, and to become a yeah. better people. But, Will, you said it's been exposed, right? Now, to African-Americans and also to medical professionals, they've always known that these inequities have been there. They've always known that there are those, the haves and the have-nots. Uh, there have always been that as it relates to access. 
to and, and health care. And I think the message, this is me, I think the message during the Affordable Care Act and that negotiation going back and forth missed the mark. I think it was about health care insurance, which is a money thing as opposed to access to health care, right? So we've always known it was there, but, you know, how was it that the public did not really grasp, you know, that, that those inequities were there? Well, because that's the history of African-Americans in this country, that there's the country's denial of the conditions of which it has put people of African descent in. And so as long as you don't ever effectively deal with those, that reality, then you're just going, going about your business in denial. Then you move into other areas of blaming a victim, of shifting the blame to something else. But what, what we're seeing now, what we're being confronted with is that, no, this, the remnants of slavery, of the Black codes, of legal segregation still very much remain. We are a segregated society. We have systemic racism. You must address that if you want to have change. And then there's also, in our tradition, there's also been a sense of self-empowerment, self-reliance. That's also a part of the African-American Jeremiah uh, tradition. So, but it's got to be, self-reliance has got to come with the recognition of the systemic racism and the attack that we continue to be under. It's not one or the other, it's both. Look, you talked about Booker T. Washington, Marcus Garvey, and others, uh, the, the the Black Panther movement, you know, and, and so forth. So, I mean, that, that's a lot to unpackage. But you listen to Stay of the Ward. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Claville. Today, we have Dr. Will Levise, and we're talking about adding soul to the message and how that the messaging during COVID-19 and healthcare has missed the mark in the African-American community. Is it the message or is it the messenger? 757-823-9110. Let us know if you have something uh, that you'd like to ask. Will, you mentioned that, you know, it COVID-19 has exposed right. these inequities. And, I, and I'm asking the question, is it the message or is it the messenger? So in your opinion, your expert opinion, during this time period of communicating both the dangers of COVID, uh, communicating the research around COVID-19, right. the research around vaccine vaccination and the, the 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 research around side effects and the research around mm-hmm. wearing masks and social distancing where did we miss the mark in communicating this more specifically to african americans or did well i think you know i think a lot of the messaging that is going out is challenged by a lot of the disinformation that is also going on. And that's why my, my dissertation focused on the online and my research looks at online because what you have going on in the internet space is there's so much misinformation, so easy for people to pass on misinformation that people get to a point where they don't know what to believe. Yeah. So what you have is that challenge, unlike you know previous generations where the messaging was coming from some particular directions, you know, the press, the, you know, the airwaves like shows like these or television, you know, right now online is the word of mouth that exists in the community, you know, in a physical community. It's a, it's another extension of that. And it's actually that word of mouth in your community, yeah. for, particularly for African-Americans, that's most strongest in convincing people 
to engage in behavior change. It's not really what they see on TV. It's not really what we hear on the radio so much, but it's what we hear from our neighbors right in the community, in barbershops, in churches, so forth. Word of mouth is still important. So that's the challenge, as I see it, is so much disinformation and misinformation that's being put out there by people who really don't have an, uh, an interest for our community, such as the anti-vax movement, right. using legitimate, legitimate, you know, distrust of government to actually steer people in a direction that's actually destructive. And again, that's what the the, the Jeremiads of the past did. They they didn't. Uh, cut corners about whether government is distrustful. They say, yes, government is doing this to us, but still, yet still, yeah. we must, <laughs> you know, we must hold take care of ourselves. That's, That's right. right. We must take care of ourselves and we must believe in the promise and that God will deliver us yet still. But we have a, we have a, a, a battle that's going on with people who would, who would distract us from that. You know, Will, you know, you and I, we've talked on, on our, our project, LaVisa and Clavel, mm -hmm. about this issue a lot. And, you know, one thing that you brought up is that when you and your brother were, were creating the Skin You're In uh, project as well, uh, that you were talking to African Americans. You were talking to, you were talking to uh, individuals in the barbershop, in the beauty shop, educated African Americans, right? That's right? And there was some information that they were saying that even I was shocked. You know, when when it was when you revealed that information, uh, tell our audience a little bit about some of the misinformation that's going on in the African American community that you discovered during your your project and research. Well, for one, I mean, as it pertains to COVID, if you remember early in the early stages, people were saying black people couldn't get it because they were black. Yes, black people could get. It. I mean, that's just a total misunderstanding of how biology works. And that, and that argument actually feeds the lie of racism because the bottom line is that there's only one human race and that's, we're all, regardless of our skin color, which is all about minimum level, <laughs> we are biologically the same. <laughs> so to say that black people can't get a disease is, is just crazy and you're actually helping the argument of the racist who would say that black people and white people are different. So that's one of the kinds of things that we discovered. I mean, misunderstandings about um, uh, diabetes, uh, people calling it that sugar and, and having an expectation that they would get diabetes, that that is just part of, part of life. Right. Right. That's just part of life. Which is not. It's like, no, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely not. If you eat a proper diet, if you are not doing the things that that uh, bring diabetes to, to bear, then you're not going to, you're not likely, you know, you're not as likely to get it. So it's, it's those types of things, just kind of accepting things as they are because we don't know. The other thing we found out again that you pointed out is interviewing people on the ground in the neighborhood is how they are experts in health and in their life and can tell you what is going on and why. And a lot of them had very much knowledge. They were pointing out the things like, you know, why are there no fresh fruits in our communities? Why do yeah. we have all these chickens? It's not yeah, that it's processed foods. Oh, yeah, why are these all these processed Liga foods? Stores. Exactly. Exactly. It, so it's not like there's something wrong with a chicken, fried chicken spot in your neighborhood, but why are there such a plethora of those? But then there's not fresh fruits. There's not supermarkets where you can actually eat healthy foods. So these are the types of things that, you know, folks in the neighborhood are experts in, in, <laughs> in respect 
as the researchers. And that's how we presented it in the documentary as well. You know, in politics, you know, we always say that you you can always have a new leader or new elite, but you can never have a new grassroots. Hmm. In other words, the, the foundation of your support of your organization is not going to change, you know, as it relates to those ideas, the ideology and the like. And I think that's one thing that we forgot as it relates to communicating to African-Americans. You know, again, you mentioned the message and how, you know, we're not getting the proper message out to the people. And I think it's also because of the messenger. Now, one thing that we've discussed and we've seen and is that the pandemic has also uncovered is that when we're talking about African-American or quote unquote, people of color, Right. Mm -hmm. That's the end. That's the end word uh, uh, word now where we talk about is inclusive of African-Americans and and uh, non-African-Americans, but anyone who's non-white. Right. Or anyone who does not have access, you know, right. to 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 what the what, what money and education can give you. But, yeah. you know, the, the, the messengers to people of color have not often been African-Americans. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's been it's been a lot of East Indian doctors, it's been a lot of white doctors, it's been a lot of physicians who have had experience treating African-Americans, but they have not been African-Americans. Now, we're starting to see that change a little, especially with some of the physicians that we have here in the Commonwealth. But but that's an issue. It's, know, a, so it's, a, it's a huge problem. I think I think the last stat I saw was like this. Five percent of the physicians in the United States are African-Americans. Well, we're, you know, 12, 13, maybe 15 percent of the population. I mean, we have uh, black colleges, we have medical schools, we have people who are who are going to majority, majority white schools. I mean, yeah. so clearly we can compete in any arena and, and the black schools are, are certainly not inferior. So you have to wonder what is going on. And again, if you don't have people who are actually intimately familiar with your community and can and share that concern, then you're going to run into you and you're going to see these disparities. So you've got all these studies coming out with doctors treating African-Americans by having such, you know, devastating misconceptions about African-American people, like things like our pain, our level of pain tolerance is higher. So we end up getting different prescriptions for, for things that uh, other patients would would be would need and would be adequate to achieve better health. So absolutely, we need more doctors. So in these listeners, young people who are listening, we need more people going into professions such as health, other professions where our people are, because we need more people who understand who we are. And then we need people of other cultures to make those extra steps, those extra right. leaps to understand our culture. Just like we, just to function in this in this country have to understand other cultures and be able to behave appropriately. But it seems like for African-Americans, again, that standard is not somehow not needed. It's like you can, you believe you can just treat us and our community without really understanding. Well, you don't really have to understand us. And if, if we don't respond to the treatment, then somehow it's our fault. No, it's, it's your fault that you have been taking the extra step as a servant to understand who you are serving. That's that's where it's at. Absolutely. And, and and you mentioned more black doctors. And I want to give a shout out to our, our our HBCU medical schools that have been standing tall for decades and that's really right. not getting the recognition. 
Meharry, you know, in Tennessee, Howard uh, University School of Medicine in D.C., um, um, and 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 the like. And now you have Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta. You know, and a while back you had Xavier University also had a medical school before right. it closed down, but that was that was that was several decades uh, back. So and now you got public health schools. I mean, you all are, are developing public. I mean, public health schools are vitally important too. They have to have different. They have different functions, but they're addressing the same issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, it's a partnership between EVMS, uh, ODU, and also Norfolk State University uh, for a School of Public Health in order to get more African-Americans into healthcare fields. Again, it's not so much as being a physician or being a surgeon, or, or but it's also being a public health uh, official, you know, in oncologists. Um, where we have also researchers and and the like, because this is where behind the scenes, you know, where, the, where we say the rubber meets the road, where you can really make a lot of change on the ground level and then, add, and then through execution, right, through acting physicians, you know, that's where we actually can give the hands-on care to people. So we're closing that gap, you know, and as African-Americans, we know about closing that gap. You know, about exposing the gaps has always been there. A lot of them man-made, if not all of them, um, in, in, in holding us back. But again, we shall rise, right? But, and you, you may, again, you made a very important point about different types of doctors fitting into this box of people of color. And so, therefore, they should be able to address this community. You've got people, people of color have a lot of diversity within them. And you, and- Absolutely. And the subjugation of black people. Black Lives Matter is a global movement. So you can't, yeah. it's a global problem in India, in Pakistan, in China. So it's in all of these places. You got more black people down in South America than you have in North America who are suffering. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you can't just take a doctor who is coming out of that cultural context, right? Where he's used to subjugating black people or she's used to subjugating black people and then put them in front of a black patient and think, that they're not going to act based in their cultural context. So we need doctors to understand who they're treating. And there are plenty of doctors who have taken that extra step. There are plenty of white doctors who have said, you know, I'm going to respect my patient and I'm going to learn my patient, regardless of what their background is. And I'm going to become culturally competent and, and treat them in a way that they need to be treated. And that's Absolutely. what we need. Take the extra step. And we also need more black doctors, as you said. Absolutely. Well, we've got a minute left, and this has been intriguing for me. And I know our audience has loved it. But I want you to take the last few minutes to talk about our project that we have together, Lavise and, and, and Corville. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Again, I remember we first connected when I was doing a radio show on the other side of the water. And I think the connection that we had and, 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 and then the times that we enjoyed a Barbara Ham Lee show, Together. Absolutely. Shout out to Barbara Ham Lee, Lisa Gowley. And Lisa, we love them. And I just think that, um, you know, we were always thinking in the back of our minds, the opportunity came to talk about these issues that we both share and we both um, uh, present them in the same way. And what, what we want to do is, as academics, as people have these extra letters after our names, is be able to talk about these complex issues in ways that everybody can understand. Because at the end of the day, we are both brothers. From the hood, I'm from the northern <laughs> hood. You from the southern hood. That's right. We've never forgotten where we come from, and we love our people, and we we respect our people, whether they have all the extra degrees or not. So that's right. what Lavisa Claville is all about. LavisaClaville.com. Check us out. 
and blow it up. And catch us on social media. Will, adding soul to the message. Is it the message or the messenger? Thank you so much for giving us that perspective about how we can communicate better to the African-American community. If you don't mind, stick around with us for the second half hour when we, as we talk, as we wrap up Black History Month. This is Stay the Water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Laville. We'll be back in just a moment. 